Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. It's a mandatory thing for me every morning. I mean, I wake up, have a glass of water, and I meditate. Like, I don't miss a day. For whatever reason, it, it allows me to follow intuition in such a more dramatic way. Yeah, I went through a couple of years of reflection, I suppose, right? It allowed me to, to look inwards and I've kind of been all over the place. I've made a lot of money. I've driven the Maseratis and the Ferraris and all that. And, you know, what, what, what's next? What's going on? What are we doing, right? I think that's another thing that I've really learned is you know, not having to reinvent the wheel all the time. Just if somebody has done something and they've written a book or a manual or something, just follow it. It's all you have to do. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Mario Milosevic. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Mario underscore Mila and the numbers 88. So Mario is an old friend of mine that recently made some shifts in his life towards fulfillment, and I knew that I had to have him on. So Mario is a guy that made a ton of cash. I mean, a lot of money. Like he made more money in a month than I made in five years, like that kind of money. And he realized that he wasn't getting the joy out of his life that he really wanted. And he he sort of like dissected, dove into his life and said, look, what are the things that are really giving me joy? And he pulled all the things that were not giving him joy And we talked about how he's approaching his life now from a joy perspective. This is one of my most favorite conversations. It's really two old friends talking with each other about what's important in life. I love this conversation. I think you will too. Be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on the socials, and remember to tag me and at Mario underscore Mila 88 and let us know what you thought. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Mario Milosevic. 
Mario, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Uh, known you for probably about 10, 12, 13 years. And uh, it's been great watching you uh, develop your uh, jet set lifestyle. Uh, it's uh, pretty amazing stuff, man. Really, uh, really happy for you. Well, listen, I pale in comparison to your life, which we're going to get into in just a second. So first of all, thank you for making the time. Where are you in the world right now? I uh, just got back from Thailand. I was there for a couple of months and I am now in Belgrade, Serbia, Eastern Europe. You know, I want to say Belgrade, but it's Belgrade. Is that right? Well, the real name is uh, the way they pronounce it here is Belgrade, but uh, there's both pronunciations. Belgrade or Belgrade is the same thing in terms of, uh, you know, internationally, I suppose. All right. Well, good, good. That's one less thing that I have to screw up in this interview. Perfect. Okay. So the, the show is basically going to have three parts. The first one is we're going to talk about the science of achievement and how you've been able to execute at such a high level. And then we're going to talk about the art of fulfillment and what you're doing to feel more fulfilled in your life, which is really, frankly, what triggered this interview for me in my mind which we'll get into. And then we'll wrap up with some uh, rapid fire questions, kind of like a speed date. Cool? Yeah, sounds great, man. All right. So I think a good jumping off point would be to talk about what it was like growing up for you in Vancouver, British Columbia, when you were a child. Maybe, maybe you can give us a few examples of some things that you did with your parents when you were, I don't know, say 10 to 15 years old. Well, when I was 10 to 15, I was actually living in Munich, Germany. So I wasn't in Canada yet. Things that I used to do with my parents, huh? Um, tell you the truth, both my parents were super, super ambitious. They were both engineers, and they actually always had businesses on the side. And they used to, uh, back in the days, paint uh, comic books, which back in you know back in the day they didn't have really you know the high quality printers, so it was all done by hand. So they actually uh, had that business going on in Germany while being engineers during the day. So it was uh, it was cool to see my parents have ambitions other than just having a job kind of deal, right? So it was, it was, uh, it was good. On, on the flip side of it, you know, they didn't really spend that much time with me, which, uh, you know, as a kid, you really want your parents to spend time. I used to be, you know, a, a soccer player and uh, I used to have some issues with my dad and not coming to my games and that kind of stuff. But uh, overall, you know, you take the good with the bad and, and, and try to pick up the best possible things, I suppose. That is that is the thing that always comes up with boys and their fathers, right? It's always like, you didn't come to my damn game. My father probably came to 87% of my games, but I'm still pissed off at the 13% he didn't come to. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like as a 52-year-old guy now, I have perspective that I didn't have when I was 14. So um, that's really interesting about the art. Um, they both did that. It wasn't just one of them. They how did, Are they both just naturally inclined artists or like how did they get into that? I don't really know. I, mean, I was, I was, you know, I lived in Munich from the ages of four to fourteen or fifteen or whatever. So, um, ah, so you were not in, you were not in Canada during those years. You were in, you were in Europe. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I was in Germany, and so I, I'm not really sure how they got into it, but I, I, I think it basically had to do with, uh, you know, them just being ambitious and trying to find ways to make uh, extra money. And I think actually that business itself, they probably made 90% of their income in it. Uh, and, uh, you know, they created a little studio in the house. And yeah, I think my dad must have worked 22 hours a day or something like that. It was insane. Like, I mean, he was always working, you know? So, Are you an artist? 
not at all. I'm I'm mathematically inclined, really. Interesting. Okay. What did you think that you were going to be when you were in high school? Soccer player. Interesting. And did you do any, did you get it on a professional level in any way or no? I started, you know, my development in Germany and then I moved to Canada and I played in Canada. I played in the United States and then in Canada again. So uh, the, before the MLS, there was a Pacific Coast League and I played in that and it wasn't developed the way it is developed today. But uh, I really would have, it would have been nice for somebody to take me back to Europe, so to speak, because, you know, I was 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, playing at Canadian national levels. And, uh, you know, you didn't really know where to go or what to do. So it would have been nice to, you know, have somebody take me there. Probably would have made, I don't know, some second division in some country or maybe even a first division. All right. So let's fast forward a bit to university. You studied programming. How did you get into that? It wasn't really... Well, to tell you the truth, I got into engineering. Uh-huh. And then after a year, I just... I, I didn't really like kind of the people I was studying with. You know, I'm a pretty outgoing guy and engineering is more, you know, of a science and that kind of thing. So from then on, I, I, I got into criminology, actually. And I studied criminology for uh, two years. And then that wasn't it either. Because every single course I took ended with, well, you know, these are all theories and we don't really know why people commit crimes. <laughs> with, a math, like, with a math brain, that does not play well. Totally. And then I always did some programming on, on kind of like on the side. Back then it was like Fortran or something. I can't remember. But uh, I did that. And then eventually I was like, well, I got to finish with something. And then I uh, actually studied, uh, I had a double major, which was um, uh, applied Germanic linguistics and, and German literature, which is like, really weird uh, because of my math brain, like you said, but I really enjoyed literature. And because I, you know, you could learn so much from these amazing, amazing people, right? I think uh, Perry Marshall says that if a book is not a hundred years old, don't read it, right? So, you know. Mm, that's <laughs> interesting. Sure I never heard him say that. That's an interesting quote. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it was pretty cool. So yeah, I just finished with my Bachelor of Arts and that was it. So you also spent some time in Belgrade, Serbia, and ultimately decided to live there. Can you give us some color on what led to making that decision? Well, I'm I basically living in Vancouver, Canada, and I'm not really let's 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 not say I live in Belgrade, but I'm spending considerable amount of time here. I'm traveling a lot, to tell you the truth. Yeah, um, I think the Western world for me has gotten to a point where. Uh, you know, the whole political correctness is getting to me mm-hmm. and looking at the value. I'm a big you know, proponent of what am I getting for my money? Like, I don't mind spending money, but what am I really getting for it? And, you know, when you're, when you're ordering a burger and it's 25 bucks and I was looking at it going, why is this burger 25 bucks? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point of that? You know, I mean, is it because, you know, this, the, the street I just traveled on is, is nice or like it, it just, you know, it doesn't compute, right? Yeah. So after after a couple of years, I was like, you know what? Let me, you know, since I've been making my money online for 15, 16 years now, I really have been able to live anywhere in the world. But I never really embraced that, you know. And it's it's funny because most people are like, oh, I wish I could just work online and you know live anywhere. You have no idea what that's like, you know. And when I say that, it's like, yeah, it is liberating. But there's also other things that go behind that. So. You know, long story short, I, I I came, I went to Serbia maybe three, four years ago, and it was kind of a fluke thing. I had donated some money to uh, a children's organization that was led by the king and the and, and the princess of Serbia, and they had invited me for a dinner. 
at the at the White Palace. And that's really why I came here. I mean, I didn't really have any plans to come here. So I did come here. I had dinner with them and then I, you know, it was amazing. I mean, it was really cool and I got to meet some cool people and looking around, it was like, wait a second. I mean, how much is this? How much is that? I mean, it, the bargains were incredible. On top of that, you have this vibrant city that's full of coffee shops and restaurants and, you know, a beautiful lake and, and just like a lot of people having a good time, even though the average wage is something like $300, $350 a month. And I, I can't really understand that. I was like, well, what the hell is going on here? How come these people are like partying all the time and they're making no money? You know, and kind of making it maybe a base, let's just say. And then I travel from here. And I mean, it's super cheap to travel in Europe, right? I mean, you can get a, a airfare for $10, $20 one way anywhere in Europe, you know, and not every day, but, you know, if you're flexible, you can, it, it's amazing. I mean, you know, uh, I remember I remember going to Italy, Rome, Italy. It's an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, it was bizarre to get on a plane and two hours later, I'm having pasta in, you know, in Rome. I can't, I can't even imagine. I exactly. can't imagine. Like, you know, you know, a couple of things are coming up for me when you're talking. One is, if I'm honest, when I have this... So uh, for for the people listening, I went to Mario's house in San Diego. And when I, when I tell you, when I tell you his house was on the beach, I mean, it wasn't on the beach. It was in the ocean. Okay. Like, <laughs> like when, no shit. Like when you walk onto the deck, you're getting hit with water. I mean, it's insane. And, you know, there's, there's secret service that's on the block because, oh, what was his name? He was running for president at the time. Who am I thinking of? The guy who's uh, married to uh, the Heinz ketchup lady. What was his name? Oh, yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Anyway, so he's got a house there. It's going to, it'll come to me. He's got a house there. There's, there's, uh, there's uh, secret service on the block. I mean, so when I have this vision of your life and what you were living in, and then I hear you're, you know, you're living in Serbia and I, I think, okay, well, he's like, what's going on? Like, why is he there? And I, you know, you make these mental pictures and then you sent me a video. I don't know why I just never YouTubed it, but you sent me a video of what it looks like in your town. I mean, it's a cross between Paris and Italy and parts of Greece. I mean, it was beautiful with rooftop, you know, with uh, rooftop bars and wine places. And I mean, it looked like, holy shit, this place is amazing. Like, I I cannot believe how cool it looked. No, definitely. I mean, I, I, I kind of feel it's like a little secret, so to speak. I mean, it feels kind of like Berlin, maybe, I don't know, 30 years ago or something like that. And uh, yeah, the number of restaurants and bars, it's mind boggling. I mean, from, you know, April until October, there are thousands of people on the street in coffee shops, like until one, two in the morning. And you don't even go out till one o'clock, you know, I mean, all clubs don't, you know, don't open till 12 or one. It's not that I'm, you know, big clubbing guy, but you go once in a while, whatever, go to some nice uh, lounges, whatever. There's some great DJs. I mean, they, I think, have the biggest festival now in Europe called Exit Festival, which is in Novi Sad, which is about an hour away or so, 45 minutes. But uh, Yeah, now you speak into my heart. The energy is incredible. I mean, it's a lot of young people. Uh, you know, they've gone through some crazy, crazy things with the NATO bombing and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, people look at it as a negative. I mean, sure, it's a negative, but, you know, it also makes you appreciate life so much more. So uh, I think it's kind of like a place where time went backwards. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it hasn't been hit with all the, you know, 
call it consumerism, whatever. I mean, there is consumerism, but it's it's more this whole political correctness. People are pretty direct, more like Russians, I suppose. If somebody thinks you're fat, they're going to tell you you're fat and <laughs> nobody's going to cry, you know? It's just, it's like, you don't, you don't pick your words. And I really like that because it really brings out uh, people's uh, uh, energies and you can be who you want to be. And people just don't get upset about little stupid things like, you know, like, is my straw plastic or not? I mean, who cares? Like, it's I just... Know people got crazy. I have a, uh, I have a Russian tailor and I went in a few years ago and <laughs> I walked in, she was, she was doing my uh, waist and she goes, you got fat. <laughs> I was like, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about career. Uh, in the 90s, you had a, uh, a job selling security systems door-to-door. What makes a good door-to-door salesman and maybe what did it teach you? I think uh, it was more like being able to take rejection in a big way. It was, yeah, it was pretty like, <laughs> now that I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> How did I, like, I don't even know if I could do it now to tell you the truth. But, you know, as a, as kind of like a younger kid, you know, I mean, I knew my product really well and it was a good product and it wasn't really that expensive and all that. But uh, yeah, a lot of, re- like it taught me about persistence and reject, being able to take rejection and, you know, and celebrating the victories, you know, whenever I did sell something, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Like, you know, this is great. And so being able to stand on your two feet and not being dependent on, you know, other people or parents or the government or anybody else to, you know, determine how much money you're going to make and the amount of time that you really have to, to spend on yourself, I suppose. Yeah, nothing like bouncing back when somebody uh, slams a door in your face. If you can do that, then you can uh, you can withstand uh, almost anything, particularly as we move down your career online was probably uh, much easier than uh, going through that. So after, after you read Nothing Down by Robert Allen in early 2000s, you found yourself inspired uh, to get into real estate. Were there any seeds from that experience that you learned and maybe still use uh, in your business career today? That book, I mean, it was so interesting. I was actually in uh, Kona, Hawaii. I remember I was sitting there and I read the book in one sitting. And it was one of those things that just... I just couldn't put the book down. I think I read it like 10 times. I mean, not that day, but, uh, and, uh, the thing that that was really kind of a, a wake up call is that anything is possible, you know? And I was like, wait a second, I don't have any money, but, uh, you know, I think I scraped together some money to go to Hawaii, obviously, but it was kind of like, I, I think I can do this. You know, I think, uh, you know, I mean, if this guy did it and he's wrote a book about it, you know, let's just follow the plan. And I think that's another thing that I've really learned is, you know, not having to reinvent the wheel all the time. Just if somebody has done something and they've written a book or a manual or something, just follow it. It's all you have to do. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not brain surgery, really. And so, um, you know, I did, I did go back to Canada and I was like, you know, talking to realtors and they're like, no, that doesn't exist. That's like, you know, that doesn't make sense. Like nobody's doing that and everything. It's funny because that's exactly what I did for, 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 for many years, actually. So then if we fast forward to, let's say, around 2003, you sold that portfolio that you amassed in Canada and you decided that you were going to move to San Diego and replicate that system. And you did. And you amassed a real estate portfolio um, in excess of $23 million, which included some commercial real estate. And even a hotel in Oklahoma. How did you wind up with a, a hotel in Oklahoma City? <laughs> I could write a book on this, but uh, basically, I was I was in San Diego. I was, uh, you know, 
buying real estate, selling some of it, renovating some of it and all that kind of stuff. And I was looking for different kind of uh, markets, I suppose. You know, it was 2000, you know, like 2006, seven, whatever, pre, pre-bubble or maybe five. I, I was reading a paper, I don't know why, but saw a little tiny ad and said, Oklahoma City investment, blah, 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 call. And I called up this guy and he happened to be in Canada and he's like, uh, look, just just fly here and check it out. I can't tell you, you know, over the phone. And I remember I was like, okay. I got on a plane literally the next week and I didn't even know where Oklahoma City was. I mean, literally, it was like, uh, I don't know where it is. Got there and what I saw was a city that was in development and the prices were like, compared to California, it was like a joke. Like yeah, right. 30, 40,000, 50,000 for a house, that kind of thing. I mean, sure, they had more expensive ones, but you know. Anyway, so I, I started accumulating properties there and then selling them off in California as a bundle. And this guy kept driving me by this hotel. It was kind of, you know, it was it had been there maybe 30 years, 20 years or something, 22 years. But it needed big time renovation. And he just kept driving by. He's like, hey, listen, this place for sale. What do you think? I'm like, I don't know. Like, what the hell? I never ran a hotel or owned a hotel. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, I was I was coming back once a month. And every time I drove by he dr- or I flew there, I, he drove me through the hotel. He's like, look, they just dropped the price again. Anyways, after about four or five months, we decided, hey, what the heck? I mean, this price is crazy, you know? So let's just do it. And I literally took all the money I had and I jumped into this thing, like like head first. And it was the craziest uh, experience. I mean, they had they had a, a Western club, country club, in the hotel, which was the number one place in Oklahoma. So Friday and Saturday nights, there was, you know, we had 300 parking spaces, uh, 194 rooms, and... There was not one parking space to be had, and our occupancy was, I don't know, 10%. <laughs> so it's like, oh, what's God. going on here? Like, you know, like, is this a hotel? Is it a country? Anyways, you know, there was bar fights. There was fights in the lobby. I mean, it, it just got out of control, right? So we, we, we got rid of them and all this. And at that time, I, I really got into uh, Google AdWords. It's called Google Ads, obviously now. Yeah. And I connected with Perry Marshall and hired him. And uh, that's where it got to be kind of interesting. You know, we... Uh, I mastered Google Ads, and uh, within a year, increased uh, the sales by eight hundred percent year over year, uh, solely through Google. It was uh, it was crazy, and that was my first kind of, you know, taste of what can be achieved online. You know what's interesting to me? You drop different things that I think are very seemingly normal to you, but they they raise red flags in a good way for me. So when you're thinking of going to Serbia, you get an invite from the king of Serbia. The king of Serbia is not calling me. You know, <laughs> when you when you think of doing uh, AdWords, you hire Perry Marshall, who, for those of you that are not in the internet world, um, you know, that's like that's like saying, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hire you know Trump to run my real estate portfolio. I mean, like it's it's really insane the level that you play at. And I want to talk a little bit about how you manifest certain things in your life. But before that, I want to talk about, you know, everybody would assume that everything goes perfect for you all the time and you always hit home runs. But you recently um, went through a period that wasn't so perfect economically. Can you kind of walk us through just to help people who are maybe in a similar situation um, and maybe share some lessons that you learned uh, recently on this? The thing is that, like, I guess my my motto is I always want to I want to be the most stupidest guy in the room kind of deal, 
you know, so when I, like when you said, when I do want to surround myself with people that are smarter than me and or hire people that are smarter than me, and especially now, I mean, you look at Google AdWords, I wouldn't touch it, you know, like there's a million people better than me, right? So, you know, that's, that's that. I think, yeah, around 2010, 11, 12, uh, yeah, I got, uh, I got hit with a really, really big lawsuit um, by uh, the Federal Trade Commission and uh, uh, I think it was for $13 million and whatever. The interesting thing is that I was really worried about making that much money. I mean, I was, you know, staggeringly making seven figures a month and, and, and it was going up like at an incredible rate. And I, and, and I think we had like, I don't know, maybe five, six staff. It was just crazy. You know, I, I, I was scared to lose it all. And, you know, and for, for those of you that, you know, that think making six, seven figures a month, eight figures a month, you know, somebody will come after you. <laughs> somebody will. It's whether it's, you know, the ex or the girlfriend or somebody slips on a banana in front of your office or the government, whatever it is. Um, and people were telling me I didn't take it really that serious. And and uh, then on the day, you know, uh, they did find something, and uh, it was it was kind of ridiculous, actually. And uh, they couldn't even explain it. I, rem- I I remember the very first call I had with them. The lawyer was like, uh, uh, he said, "Look, I, we don't really know what you do. Nobody knows what what you did. Uh, but where's your money?" And I literally choked. I was like, "What? What do you mean?" Anyway, so yeah, that that took more of a psychological hit on me. Uh, financially as well, but uh, it was really psychologically kind of, you know, I don't say devastating, but, you know, you just kind of start thinking about, uh, like, did I do something wrong? Am I a bad person? What's going on? And at the same time, I got divorced, which, you know, that was more of a <laughs> economic mm-hmm. hit, but, you know, it's fine, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I went through a couple of years of reflection, I suppose, right? And uh, which was actually, in hindsight, fantastic because it allowed me to 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 look inwards and 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 really see, you know, what what what's all this about, right? I mean, I've I've kind of been all over the place. I've made a lot of money. I've driven the Maseratis and the Ferraris and all that. And you know, what what's next? What's going on? What are we doing, right? Well, that's what I want to talk about next. I want to talk about the art of fulfillment. You know. One of the th- one of the reasons why I was compelled to ask you to do this interview is because on your birthday a couple of months ago now I guess uh, you wrote a post and it was a long post but it was amazing I get chills when I think about it um, it was one of the most authentic vulnerable real posts and maybe I don't know maybe it's because at the point I am in my life that it resonated maybe ten years ago it wouldn't have but it really really struck me. And the theme of the post was, you know, effectively simpler is better. And, you know, you have everything now in your life. You, like you said, you've done the Ferraris and the Maseratis, et cetera. Just sort of high level. If you sort of look back on those years of, you know, making over a million dollars a month and living, you know, sort of that lifestyle. And now to the way you're approaching your life, What's different? Yeah, totally different. I think I was driven by money. It's like, and also I think this this need to prove to everybody else, including maybe my parents, that I can I can do it. You know, subconsciously, I suppose it's not like I'm you know telling myself that, but uh, you know, it was more about 
being able to say, okay, I, 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 I really have to succeed. And what does that even mean? I mean, how much money is enough type of deal, right? And I think uh, now I've realized that it's really all about quality of life. Now, quality of life, it doesn't mean that you have to make a lot of money. It's actually, to tell you the truth, it's funny. I was, I was you know, uh, uh, living in Thailand and I was like, well, you know, how much money do I really need to be happy kind of deal, right? Like, what does that even take, you know? Uh, you know, an apartment, a little scooter and, uh, you know, money for food kind of deal, right? And it's, it's crazy how little you actually need. Uh, and, 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 and also here's, here's the big, I think this is one of the biggest things is that when you have a lot of money and you're spending it, you, I mean, you know, it was like, you know, I wasn't staying in any resort or hotels under a thousand a night. I mean, I didn't even know, you know, I, I had no concept, I lost concept of money and what it can buy. And, um, and so that, that's kind of a weird thing, right? Where you just don't know what anything costs, where you're just like money is no issue. Right. And, and, and now it's more about value. Like, why am I paying a thousand dollars a night? You know, can I, can I get something that's more fun for 50 or 30 or whatever it is? Right. And the answer clearly is yes. And, and you're actually able to, to, to taste the, the 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 people more the locals more when you're actually going at a call it a lower level whatever it is right because you're mingling with locals you know you're not in the resort all with you know security guards and everything else so that's a really big thing because now you're able to or at least for me I've been able to 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 really make friends you know that are more authentic I suppose and uh, so, yeah, that's one of the one of the one of the greater things that I'm really, really appreciating about uh, being able to just, uh, you know, do whatever I want. It's not this need to stay at a you know six star hotel with a helicopter pad on top. Right. You know, I love what you just said. Um, and I never thought of it before. There's a couple of things that you said, because I've, you know, like you, I've, I've spent a lot of time traveling around the world and, you know, paying way too much for hotels. But I never really thought about how much there's an insulation in the hotel of separating you from the experiences that are around you. And you're right. You do wind up becoming friends, quote unquote, with the security guards, the front desk, you know, the people around the resort when you're there, as opposed to really mingling into the locals. And I also love, because we're about to do, uh, Kim and I are uh, going to do four months in Europe, which we've never done anything longer than a month. And, you know, so we're looking at what that looks like. And so, you know, the vision that you just painted of, you know, an, apartner, an apartment, you know, with a scooter and mixing with the locals and really resonating or connecting with, um, with the environment is so important. But I guess the question that I have for you around that is... <sighs> Let me see how I ask this. So, you know, as a man, there's a certain level of significance that we have, you know, around money. We want to be able to be the guy that is, you know, producing a lot of money. It's going out to the finest restaurants, et cetera. And maybe I'm just speaking for myself at this point. But are you finding now that that sort of affluence mindset is not 
creeping up in your brain and sort of saying, well, you know, you should be staying over at the, uh, at the, uh, the four seasons, or you should be staying at this place. And, you know, this is a step backwards for you, you know, with this Airbnb or whatever, or has that part of your life completely been eradicated and this new life that you have of stepping into more experiences, just trumping that does that question make sense i know it's 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 a jumbled question but does that make sense yeah it does and i can i can answer it easily the difference is that i feel comfortable in call it a hostel as much as i feel comfortable in you know a five thousand dollar villa i mean you know for my birthday i stayed in this beautiful villa in thailand on this private island and you know it was great i loved it but i wouldn't have wanted to stay there for more than you know two three days you know it wasn't so I, I, I feel comfortable in both places now, whereas before I wouldn't feel comfortable because I was worried about what maybe perhaps other people would think and that kind of stuff, right? Whereas now it's just like, it's irrelevant. My happiness is not determined by where I stay or what I have or how much money I make. My happiness is completely, completely within me. And I, if I decide I want to be happy, I'm going to be happy. And then, you know, then the, the beautiful things of, you know, of, of attraction comes in and you know, it's like, oh, wait a second. Why am I only meeting happy people? <laughs> you know, so it's- how well, okay. So let's talk about that. How are you? How are how are you? What does the practice look like? If we got granular, what does the practice look like for you of stepping into that happiness place? So maybe you know, maybe contrast it to the way you used to be. Maybe you used to wake up in the morning and say, oh, fuck, I got all this shit I got to do. Um, and now you wake up and say, it's going to be a great day. Like what, what's the difference in how you're approaching your days? Well, the, the one major change, I'm, uh, a change I made was meditation. I know it's, I mean, everybody talks about meditation and it's been like, kind of like up, up around me for years and years and years, but you never really take it serious. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, okay, I guess I'll meditate once a year or once a month or whatever. And like, what does that even mean? It's, it's like so woo-woo and it's like, you know, what the hell is that going to do for me, right? Like, why am I not using that 20 minutes or hour or whatever, you know, to be productive? And what I found is it's a mandatory f- thing for me every morning. I mean, I wake up, have a glass of water and I meditate. Like, I don't miss a day. And what it's done for me is really kind of brought, bring down that whole analytical thinking mind. You know, they call it the monkey mind. Yeah. And... For whatever reason, it, it allows me to follow intuition in such a more dramatic way. And I just don't have these ups and downs anymore, you know? So, so I guess meditation is something that if, if there was one thing that I could recommend to anybody is like, just do it. Do it for 10 days. And if you don't see a 10x difference in your life, quality of life, then stop doing it. <laughs> I've yet to find anybody that's like stopped after 10 days, right? Yeah, it's it's a game changer. I don't I don't, I probably don't miss a day either. I would say I'm probably at, at probably I'm, if I'm telling the truth it's probably 5 5 out of the 7 days a week I do it. I probably skip the weekends. Is there something that you recommend in terms of the practice of it like are you are you using calm or headspace or Dan Harris's wake up app or how are you doing it or are you just closing your eyes? Well, Initially, I started with just YouTube guided um, meditations. Yeah, uh, there's a guy named Michael Seeley who's really good. So his guided okay. meditations are great. So now I'm at a point where I can either do that or I can listen. There's like also the Buddhist chanting uh, on YouTube as well, which is kind of calming. That's kind of cool. And then sometimes it's just uh, nothing, you know. So I mean, I have you know 
put on the Bose uh, noise-canceling headsets. That's important. And nobody's disturbing you. Put everything on mute, whatever. And uh, and just, I see how I feel. And that's that's another game changer is that uh, it's, 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 I am, I look at my feelings way more than I do at my rational mind. And even though it sounds kind of, again, using woo-woo, you know, it's like, why would you, it's all about feelings. How do I feel? If I feel good, do it. If you don't, you don't feel good, don't do it. And why am I feeling bad at a certain point? So that's really made a huge difference in the quality of my life. And, and, and yeah, I can't, can't say enough about that. Yeah, I can I can absolutely uh, feel it from you. Okay, so let's hit the last part of our show, which is the rapid fire round. Think of it as a speed dating round. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you'd like. <laughs> it's basically a first thing that comes to mind round. All right, let's do it. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Networking. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Being alone. What keeps you up at night? Nothing. What's the one thing that you want to get better at? Looking at, 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 at more positives in people than negatives. Mm, that's a good one. What book other than Robert Allen's book have you reread the most? Uh, the 80-20 Principle by Robert Koch. That's so good. Yeah. And I say... I, I say co- Koch, oh, so I'm yeah, so wow. glad. You, you can actually, you know, you could give me a linguistics lesson because <laughs> I'm learning I say every freaking thing wrong. No, I don't think so. I've actually met him. He's cool guy. Uh, he was actually at a Perry Marshall seminar and he lives in South Africa and Spain and London. Really, really cool guy. You learned so much. Like, that guy's ultra, ultra, ultra smart. Like, holy man. Yeah, he changed, uh, he changed a lot of people's lives on it. What's your guilty pleasure? McDonald's. <laughs> and that's only since I have been gone from North America. <laughs> that's okay. No judgment here. What's the one thing you own and probably should throw out but never will? My, my iPhone. If you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for, nothing that you speak about, and it can be about anything at all that you have a passion for, what would it be? Uh, interior decorating. Love this question because I would have never thought that. Okay, cool. <laughs> the last final question is, we're going to change it up a little bit. What one question do you want to ask me? How did your life change after you started DJing? Oh, such a great question. Nobody's asked me that. The way it changed for me is I had, I had resisted an artistic side to me. I loved music, but I couldn't sing couldn't dance. I can't draw. But inside of me, I felt artistic, but I did not know how to get it out creatively. One day I was in uh, Ibiza, uh, staying at a hotel called the Ushuaia. And that week they had Swedish House Mafia, Tiesto, Avicii, all of the big names that were there, literally at the hotel every night. And so I just you know, became immersed in watching how these guys do what they do. And I realized how artistic it was when you're when you have four, you know when you have four um, CDJs they're called that are playing one song on top of each other, making a new song, and that's art. I mean, you're literally mixing live, and I just became fascinated with it. So what changed is my my level of uh, creativity, embracing my level of creativity, my ability to I'm really good one on one with people, but um, when I'm in a, a crowd of 
in, in the case of DJing, uh, there were thousands. It was difficult for me to, you know, walk into a club as I, you know, as I progressed in it, I started traveling around the country DJing and, you know, walk into these clubs where there were thousands of kids. So I had to kind of get over the quote unquote stage fright for lack of a better word. The trust that I had to have in myself and so, for example, when you play a song as a DJ and, you know, the crowd is going crazy and you got 20 year olds on ecstasy that are fist pumping, you know, <laughs> in your face and you're like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. And you're so excited and it's incredible. And then you put the next song on and for whatever the reason, it was the wrong move and you clear the dance floor and having to figure out how to get them back was a skill in itself sort of the three phases of the night before they're drunk, when they're drunk and after they're drunk are all different in how they, um, how they want the night to go. Cool. Um, being, being able to, to create revenue for the bar by not playing music that's so good that they don't get off the dance floor and drink. So there were, there's a lot of sub skills that are built and baked into DJing that most people don't think about. Right. So I don't know if that answered the question, but that's what hit me. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. Well, dude, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Are you going to be in North America anytime soon or? Uh... I should be. Yeah, I definitely uh, uh, will be the next uh, couple of months. Okay. Well, if, we, if I don't see you in North America, we're going to be in Europe for four months uh, starting in uh June. So uh, maybe our paths can cross at some point over there. I'd love to connect you, connect with you and see you in person. No, thank you, man. Uh, all the best. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. Oh,